This evening, uh, we're going to look at Psalm, uh, the first part of Psalm 104. Um, it, along with Psalms 105 and 106, are the concluding psalms to Book 4 uh, in the Psalter. Um, my, one of my teachers and friends, uh, Bob Godfrey, has, uh, has given us the division of the, of the psalms using this language, that Book 4 speaks of the king's comfort in God's faithfulness. The psalms uh, in Book 4, uh, concluding with Psalm 106, speak of the king's comfort in God's faithfulness. Psalm 104 will be God's faithfulness as creator and sustainer that the king and all of the king's people can appreciate and value uh, the Lord's faithfulness through his creation and his sustaining his creation. Uh, Psalms 105 and 106 speak about the God's uh, redeeming his people um, and, and God and the king finding comfort in the Lord's provision there, even though both of those long psalms uh, speak of much of much rebellion in, on behalf of, of God's people. Nonetheless, God is faithful. Both of these actions, the, the action of creation and sustaining creation and of redemption, are called in the Psalms wondrous works. That's code for what God has done in creation, providence and redemption, that is beautiful, that causes us to wonder, and that should elicit praise. So we're going to be looking at wondrous works uh, while I have the pulpit in the evening over the next uh, couple of uh, few weeks as we look at uh, at these at these three psalms. Now, Psalm 104 uh, both begins and ends with this word, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." So again, it is an indication that the substance of the psalm, the many different verses in this psalm are fuel for us to be able to bless the Lord, O our souls. Uh, This psalm gives countless reasons to praise. And I must say, when singing the hymns that we sang tonight at your suggestion and at mine, I can remember there being a time when I was somewhat embarrassed to do so. Does God care enough that we would sing praises about the delightful things in his creation. I was distorted enough to have a problem with that. And I'm beginning to see through time uh, that the Lord, in fact, we are called here to recognize the things that God has made and to give him praise for it. Uh, Verse 34, for example, says, May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. That's sort of a summary of what we want to look at in these verses. Meditate on creation until you worship God. Meditate on creation until your heart is overflowing with worship to the Lord. This this psalm goes beyond the, um, uh, the creation account, but gives reasons to praise for God, praise God in creation, but also in that which he has created for our enjoyment that we, uh, that we still have in our midst now. And all of this looks to God's creative power, wisdom, and compassion and reveal his glory. All of them look to God's power, wisdom, and compassion to reveal his glory. Now this psalm is something like a ten-course dinner. We're not going to eat all of it tonight. 
but I'm going to be something like a waiter here and, and describe each course before I present it to you. In other words, I'm going to summarize each section and then we will read it. And I, and I want to do that so that you can be alert, particularly alert, as you're reading the scripture to see perhaps what, what might be uh, somewhat clarified uh, by different things. So we'll begin in verses 1 through 4, and this describes what God made on the first day of creation as well as the second day as he made the heavens. So we have the light and the heavens indicated here. Now, it has been said that you can tell a lot about a person by the clothes that he wears. I've even heard it say you can tell a lot about a man by the kind of shoes he has. Don't know about that. Uh, but, but also what kind of house he lives in and what kind of car he drives. You can tell about, you can tell a lot about someone by those accoutrements that he has in his life. And here, uh, it, it is described that God wears light. He has a garment of light, and light that is unapproachable. We are in awe of him. We cannot, we cannot really behold him because of his brightness. And he lives among us in a tent that is comprised of the heavens. And he rides among the clouds on the wind, his vehicle. He sends the fire and the wind to do his bidding. All of these things describe God's living among us. There is a vast creator-creature distinction. Creation is distinct from God, but it is also full of his presence. And these verses describe or reveal, reveal God's wisdom and power. Uh, verses 1 through 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. God is revealed in his wisdom and power. In the next course, verses 5 through 9, the, the land and the water are separated, and it's described, describing and referring to both the work of God on the third day of creation, uh, that separation, but, but also um, alluding to the fact that uh, the waters would, be, would, would not once again cover the earth. The earth is stable. And God's, by God's action, he covered the water, or covered the earth with the deep. I mean, he dispersed the waters, and the mountains then rose and set limits. Uh, there is no more destruction by flood, as God promised through Noah. And this even hints that King Jesus, who, was, who mastered the seas and the wind in the gospel accounts, he declared God's powerful word at creation, but also as he was with the fishermen on that boat in the, on the Sea of Galilee, exercising God's authority and power. This section then reveals God's power. He set the earth on its foundations so it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass. 
so they might not gain, they might not again cover the earth. God's power in the seas, God's power in limiting uh, their spread. God also has concern for the earth and its creatures. Uh, in the next section, verses 10 through 13, God provides for the wild and undomesticated animals. He gives them refreshing waters from streams. Uh, he makes branches out of the trees that would, that would house uh, the birds that he had made. And from above, he waters even the tops of the mountains. And the earth is satisfied with God's design to care for all of its creatures. We begin here to see that even the creatures find satisfaction in what God has made and how he is caring for them, all for his glory. We see God's goodness in what he has made. Uh, Verses 10 uh, through 13. You made springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. We see God's goodness in all that he has made. His goodness uh, on behalf of his creatures. And it is only heightened in the next course of the meal. Everything fits together beautifully. In fact, the agricultural system is for our benefit, but not only our benefit, our joy as well. This refers to the, that which was produced on the second part of the third day of creation, the vegetation that God had created. Notice there are three things that are mentioned here. Uh, God uh, cultivates the fields to produce bread so that, that we need to eat. Fields for bread. But he also dis- discusses the wine from the vineyards and the oil from the olive trees. These, this goes beyond our daily needs to the things that we can, we can readily enjoy. It, um, they are things for us to richly enjoy. So the doctrine of creation makes room for pleasure. Is appropriate to give thanks to God for the beautiful and bountiful meals that we enjoy. Be specific. Talk about the things that God has given. Let them satisfy your heart and do so without guilt. All the while, remembering that we have been called, a steady drumbeat throughout the scriptures, we have been called to be, uh, to be generous uh, to the poor. Job is a wonderful example of that. Uh, uh, that uh, we've looked at in the past. And then there is that verse, an unusual verse, 15. We're going to sit here for just a minute. The, the gift of wine that gladdens your hearts. This is bluntly convenient for some and rather annoyingly inconvenient for others. But as it is, uh, wine is a good gift. It is a gift that God has given, and even, my Hebrew professor said, I'll quote Ray Dillard, even to the point where our hearts can be gladdened, that too is a gift. It is good. Otherwise, Jesus would not have improved the celebration at Cana of Galilee, as John 2 talks about. 
Jesus made that a better wedding celebration by, by producing better wine. It is a good thing. Having said that, there is also warning against abuse, as with any of God's gifts, whether it is food or, 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 or sleep or sex or recreation. You can always overdo it. Be careful, as the proverb says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. It's easy to abuse, but be careful, so be careful. But we see here, make no mistake, we see in these two little verses, God is concerned about your joy. He's concerned about your happiness. He's concerned that you delight in the things that he has made. We see God's wisdom and we see his goodness here. His goodness to his creatures. Uh, uh, again, now let me read them. Uh, 14 and 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Verses 16 and 18, and we will conclude at verse 18 this evening, uh, take us back to the wilds and uh, to God's care uh, for the environment, for the the uh, the. Um, the things that he has made that are undomesticated. Um, in these verses, uh, God plants and waters trees which become homes for birds. Uh, the mountains God creates, along with creating goats, because they fit so well together, the creature and in the environment. He makes the mountains to be like a playground for those goats. He cares for unclean animals, the storks and the badgers. And this is, you see, decidedly different from what we would call natural selection, where organisms adapt through millions of years to fit in with their natural surroundings. No, God makes goats and mountains suitable for each other. Goats at their birth fit in with their environment. This is God's design and not some sort of self-adaptation. And we praise God for that. We want to pause and go to verse 24 to recite that again. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So we take time to be fascinated by creation and to meditate long enough to praise God. Uh, verses 16 to 18. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he has planted, in them the birds uh, there, uh, build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, and uh, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Let's talk about this now in a different respect now. God reveals himself through redemptive deeds. And the words of Scripture interpret those deeds for us. And we usually think of the Lord Jesus Christ as the pinnacle of God's creation, rightly so. The Word of God describes uh, what God gives to us that we, for our salvation, and that is focused on the glory of the Gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. But there is also a revelation of God 
in what is called general revelation, not the special revelation of Scripture. And let me put it to you this way as we just unfold this for a couple of minutes. General revelation is what God has made out there. And that's what we've been talking about tonight. The things that God has made in the world for his glory, the things that we are to worship him for. But also God has revealed himself in here, in us. And I want us to think about both of those as we consider the things that God has made. Creation yields true knowledge of God. It does reveal his power and wisdom and goodness. And that comes to all people by God's common grace. We think of Psalm 19, which we sang earlier. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day to day pours out speech. And it goes out to the end of the world. It is constant and it covers the globe. The message of the glory of God and the things that he has made goes out constantly to the ends of the earth. Even so, that is not sufficient for salvation, but it still has a purpose. It still has a purpose, as we will see, to prepare those who do not yet know Jesus, to prepare them to hear the message of the Creator and the Redeemer. The creation itself bears with it an adequate testimony that it would enable us and aid us even in our evangelism. In general, in general revelation, therefore, we have a dual witness to the reality of God the Creator. The dual witness is that which is out there as God reveals himself outside of us. We see his eternal power and his divine nature as in this psalm, uh, but also inside of us, the divine image with a sense of justice. Both of these themes are taught in the early chapters of Romans. Uh, God has created man to be aware of, of not only justice, second chapter, verse 15, where he's aware of the right and wrong that he does, but also the end of chapter 1, where there will be a judgment. He is aware of that. And that is a, a product of the sensus divinitatis that God builds into the hearts of people. That justice for himself and that justice uh, that will be coming. And as Calvin put it this way, the sense of divinity is at the same time the seed of religion. The sense of divinity is at the same time the seed of religion. There is a consciousness of God. And so there is, uh, in, across the world, in mankind, there is this religion in general and also a sense of God in particular. Now, what do we do with this? I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 14 with me for just a moment. Acts 14. Let's look at a couple of verses from Acts to see what uh, the inspired writer uh, does with some of these themes. Um, Acts shows us by example how we are to weave uh, the, um, the general revelation, the revelation of God and the things that he has made, both out there and inside of us, weave that into our witness. Think, think of it this way. The good things that people enjoy in this life speak not of themselves, but speak beyond themselves to God himself. And think of ways that you're able to you're able to to reference the good gifts that God has made, uh, even as uh, even as you enjoy things together with Him. The good things that we enjoy as image bearers in God's world open the door to talk about God. 
The good things we enjoy as image bearers in God's world open the door to talk about God. Uh, Acts 14, verse 17. He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. When you encounter the gifts of God in creation, when you encounter someone who even speaks well of family or health or the provision of God, you have an opportunity to speak of the giver of that gift and simply to praise him. Look for those opportunities to speak of God in the description and the enjoyment of things on this earth. When you sit down at a lovely meal, it is no accident that the seasoning just just, spike, just just sit and causes the food to be so delicious. What an occasion to say, isn't God wonderful? Give us both the mouth that has the capability of enjoying good food and the wonderful food that we have before us. Praise God for that. They will see. Just, just look for those occasions, okay? And then also, that's, that's referring to the, the revelation of God out there. But, but Acts also talks about the revelation of God in here. Okay? Uh, in, in chapter 17, uh, verse 27, there is some awareness uh, to know, or at least to sense, something about God. Uh, look with me at 17, verse 27. Well, um, they should, that they should seek God in the hope that they may feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even one of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Now, what is significant about this? This is God's territory. It all reflects his glory. The people you speak with at the job and in your neighborhoods are all image bearers of God, albeit distorted. But you are not the weird one for saying that there is a God who has made this lovely thing. They are the weird ones for denying it. So you have a measure of confidence to be able to speak. Weave that into your witness that this is God's territory and that they have that sense of the divine, and that the story of creation, of the fall and redemption and consummation fits the data. It fits the data out there. It is reasonable. And you also then have the testimony of God through what he has made, through what is in, in their own hearts, uh, in their instincts and longings, to be able to share the gospel with, pe to, with people with confidence. God the creator made this lovely world as a theater of operations for himself and as an environment in which we can, can, can identify areas in this creation from which we can point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is by no means uh, giving secondary place to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is instead providing a context that connects with people where they live and you are able then to bring the glorious gospel of Christ into that situation. Let us pray. God, we pray that these, these um, hastily drawn ideas would at least plant the seed 
for us to expand our notion of what it means to, to live as Christ followers and God-fearers in this beautiful, this lovely world in which you've given to us. And Lord, let us be looking for those opportunities. And, and even as we hear people speak of the world that you made that they live in, grant us that, that skill to be able to connect those comments to the longings and desires of their own hearts that we may point them to Jesus, that he would be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.